Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I would like to welcome our guest, our dear beloved Sheikh, Sheikh Abdurrahman Murad. And uh, Sheikh, I wanted to share with you uh, a voicemail that I received um, maybe about a week and a half ago. So just under two weeks ago, I received this voicemail. And um, I want to share that with you. So before the magistrate judge or exempt jury for a federal criminal offense. So before this matter goes to federal courthouse or you get arrested, kindly press one and speak to an officer now. I repeat, press one to speak to an office right now to avoid further actions. So if I don't uh, contact my magistrate, I think I have some taxes perhaps maybe owing this. I don't know if this is an official CRA call, um, but uh, it's uh, interesting to see that uh, the scammers, the, uh, the fraudsters are still operating during uh, the pandemic. And, uh, you know, I, I've seen their evolution. I don't know if you received these voicemails in the past, Sheikh, from the CRA uh, or or, or, or um, you ever actually talked to one of these people uh, on the phone, but they've had this evolution because before it was very clear because they had a very strong, distinct uh, Desi accent and then they started masking it, right? They started masking it. So they'd probably get the person who has the best, like, uh, impression of a Canadian accent and uh, he's like, this is the CRA calling. And but then calling anytime they said the word calling, they couldn't mask it. So they would always say, this is the CRA calling. Right. So you that would be the clue that it's coming uh, from one of these uh, scam call centers. But now they've evolved uh, to have the computer generated voices. Uh, but, uh, you know, even during this pandemic, uh, you have people uh, trying to make a dishonest dollar. And uh, I saw um, that recently because of some of the governmental programs, there are people who are actually uh, sending out text messages, they're sending out emails, uh, they're sending out um, uh, these links to say, hey, this is how you get your money. Okay, and they're all scams. They're, these are all scams. Uh, trying to, and obviously, they're trying to take advantage of the chaos, uh, some of the misinformation. And um, under the guise of uh, giving people money, they're actually trying to scam people with money during this time, right? During this chaos and so forth. So, uh, you know, Sheikh, um, I guess the first thing I, I want to talk to you about is that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tells us in the Quran, in that the soul is inclined, the self is inclined towards uh, evil. Um, you know, are, are situations like this, are we going to see uh, people inclining towards this uh, type of behavior? We're already seeing a lot of individualism. Uh, people are talking about hoarding. Uh, people are talking about arming themselves with guns. Uh, is this what we expect uh, from people? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Shaykh. SubhanAllah. No, I'm. You wouldn't expect that calls like this during a time that's it's a pandemic, global pandemic, that people would kind of lay off or kind of, you know, uh, not get involved or try to scam people at this critical, sensitive time. But subhanAllah, it just seems that they never let up. 
This is to them an opportunity, and it just seems that things will only progress and become worse. I'm saying that not from you know, a negative standpoint, but from what we have in the hadith, the Prophet said to us that no time would come except that one after the one that you're in is worse than the previous time. So worse here is generic, right? So that would maybe refer to stuff like this, people becoming more creative in, t in ways to scam others, people abusing the system, you know, lying, cheating. Now, you would think likewise that a time like this would bring out the best with an individual, and it may with some, but for others, it brings out the worst. Like you said, a lot of individualism, people hoarding. I can't forget the scenes I saw over here in our local superstore. I went to buy some toilet paper. When I, <laughs> I that's, a, that's a hot ticket item right now. No, no, I, I, even if it was that, I wouldn't buy it now because people look yeah. at you, give you that dirty look. So I said, no, I, I can live without toilet paper. I have some at the house. I can live without it for the next <laughs> week. Down the road, I might go to a smaller yeah. store to fix them up from there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, th this is what's happening. People are, you know, the worst comes out within, within people. I mean, not everyone, but some. You have people selling uh, items that they purchase that they don't need. I mean, who would need mm -hmm. 40 packets of, of toilet paper. I mean, people went nuts. They, and there was, in the beginning, there was no limit. You know, it, it was open, a free-for-all. So people were literally shoving and pulling and buying whatever they could. And if you go on Kijiji.ca, you go on, um, what is it? Uh, the Facebook marketplace, which is bigger. It's less regulated. You go there, you can find stuff. And I was shocked because I was looking for, you know, antiseptic wipes. I couldn't find a yes. single in the shops. And they were being sold for $60 for just the one Lysol. Yes. Uh, you know, that, the, the packet, the one individual packet, usually the, the packet of four comes out for $20, give or take. This was one for 60 And it was being sold. People were making money off of this, subhanAllah. So yeah, it really brings out the worst within some people. At the same time, it brings out the best, but that, you know, uh, we have people coming, going out of their way, giving to the senior citizens, and those who are in need that cannot go out for themselves. People are, you know, uh, offering... Uh, you know, help to those who are unable to move out. Alhamdulillah. But true, this is... Uh, I, um, I, I feel part of this. See, now what we have, um, you know, some... When you look at uh, the recent press conferences, uh, both here in Canada, the United States, uh, we're seeing this now also develop, I would say, on a national level. Because the President of the United States... He's actually trying to restrict any shipments of masks to Canada. And we're supposed to have this friendly relationship, the longest unguarded border uh, in the world. Uh, we're supposed to be so intertwined. Uh, the Canadian military has been going out wherever the U.S. is going and saying, OK, we'll assist you. We'll do whatever uh, we can for you. And uh, now uh, this can possibly affect uh, thousands and thousands of lives, and there's this restriction on on mass uh, that's uh, that's uh, occurring, and um, you know uh, there's now uh, statements coming out uh, from both the, the the president and from our prime minister saying, hey, if you've hoarded masks, if you have all these masks, then please donate them, give them to the healthcare workers. The problem I find, Sheikh, is that we're asking people to do something 
that we have programmed them for decades not to do uh, because we've been touting capitalism. We've been ta- uh, touting the pursuit of the individual. So we've been saying all this time that the individual's needs are the ones that are the most paramount. This is what's the most important uh, because obviously in the their philosophy, we don't subject they don't subjugate themselves or we should not subjugate ourselves uh, to a higher authority, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So don't subjugate yourself. It's the pursuit of the individual. But inherently because of uh, to run a society, you have to follow the rules and laws of the land. But, you know, the individual, the pursuit of the individual, this is what's paramount. And that's the culture that's uh, been promoted. That's a culture that's prevalent for yourself. And even like when you look at when you study capitalism and you study some of the works based on Adam Smith and the invisible hand and and so forth, uh, they say that people will still give charity uh, because it'll make them feel good. So it'll still be the uh, pursuit of individual uh, needs or what the individual wants. They'll still give charity, uh, but uh, what we can assume is that a lot of them, they'll feel good, so you'll feel good by donating, and that's why you will uh, perhaps donate or help somebody who's uh, who's in need. But the problem with that, Sheikh, is that it still needs to be a selfish act. You still need to be convinced that this is going to benefit you materially because how is that going to like for for example a person in this type of emergency critical type of situation they're feeling a lot of anxiety a person uh stockpiling all these masks feels maybe some uh relief from their anxiety that they've stockpiled all these masks right so just having it to walk into the room it's like that person always counting their money you they just they feel that security by being able to count them. Oh, I still have this much money. Okay, come back an hour later. Oh, yeah, I still have this much money. So you're telling now people after you program them for so long to be selfless. You're you're programming them to say, hey, we gotta work together. You, you know what I mean? Oh, we should care about lives. Like were these arguments brought up? Like for example, like because of our alliances. Uh, yeah, okay, let's, uh, you want us to go off to war somewhere? Okay, yeah, we'll do that because of our alliances. But now you're telling people, no, we should care about people's lives? Why Why? Why would they change now? It's what, they were doing things for nationalistic re- reasons, selfish reasons, individualistic reasons, and now you see the chaos when your life is on the line, when things are in chaos, when people are trying to make up for maybe uh, previous, like, political indecisions, uh, that they made that they they there was I think both Canada and United States sent sent so many masks like you know thousands or even millions of masks to China, and now they're like oh maybe we shouldn't we underestimated our own stockpiles and, and whatnot. So uh, you know Sheikh, how do we do that? Like how do we uh, snap out of this? How do we wake up for this? Do we expect anything different from a society that has touted? this type of uh, individualism for so long. I see some of these issues now cropping up as partly as a manifestation of that. Well, Sheikh, I, I agree with you, uh, definitely. I mean, uh, the way that our society, our culture works, basically prefer or give that uh, preference to the individual over the community, over the society. Whereas we know, looking from the Shara'i perspective, from an Islamic perspective, we have you know, the preference of a community over the individual. So we always look at the betterment of the community firsthand, then the individual afterwards. So if there's a benefit that would either go for the individual or the community, and there's a conflict, we 
we give the priority afterwards then to the greater good in that sense, the community who would benefit the most. Um, but to say this, I don't want people to understand that, oh, we disregard the individual altogether. No, the individual is important in Islam, definitely. Um, we find the Prophet wasallam putting such emphasis on building character, building the person, making himself reliant, making the person independent in a sense that, you know, they can uh, practice their deen without the need of others to oversee what they're doing. So uh, that independence, that self-reliance we have within the folds of Islam. Uh, but at the same time, there's a very interwoven approach to the community and the individual, whereby they come together in a form of participation and cooperation. So uh, one is not neglected entirely in that sense on account of the others. So the community, that like we said, is the priority, but it not we are not neglect the individual as some may perceive, oh, he's worthless, forget it, his life is not worth saving. No. Uh, and that's what I find troubling when the, from the Islamic perspective, looking at what we have, you know, the importance of both the community, the individual, how Rasulullah put emphasis on both, and how he built up the individual, looking at that example we have, and how it brought how it made the, the ummah prosper from that time all the way uh, afterwards. Looking at that, and looking at what's taking place today down south, uh, with the guy down south. I mean, what he's doing right now is truly the embodiment of that greed, whereby a person looks only for his own benefit, irregardless if the community suffers. And I've heard stuff that really, it shook me because some of them even said, I mean, the senators down south, they said, well, look, um, a few people are going to die anyways, right? And there's a few articles I'm looking, I'm thinking back to. A few people are going to yes, die. I, I remember reading that. So what does that tell you? That means who cares about the individual lives that may be lost? In the end, the majority of us will survive. Those few unfortunate souls who've died, well, that's their tough luck. We don't look at it like that in Islam. We would, you know, do our best to uh, protect the individual, even if it means that as a whole, uh, an economy may suffer. We're not going to give priority to someone's wealth and money over the individual lives that may be saved. And we have, you know, in the, um, in the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَمَنْ أَحْيَاهَا فَكَأَنَّمَا أَحْيَا النَّاسَ جَمِيعًا That whoever, you know, uh, protects or, or makes or allows a life to live or allows someone to basically survive from whatever it is that they may be going through, it's as though he would have revived all of mankind. Uh, this same quote from the Quran was put in Denmark, I believe, in a bus stop, whereby they're all working together to save the lives of uh, individuals. And they put that quote from the Quran in that bus stop where people can re read it and see it. And it was written, actually, the Quran, the quote, and the, uh, you know, the, in English, subhanAllah. Allah understand. But overall, yeah, I mean, the thing is that... I, I, I think, Sheikh, one thing that... Um maybe we should recognize is that we, we talk at it from a, an, a man-based perspective uh, and we understand that, uh, you know, the individual has rights, uh, the community, uh, you know, has rights. I think it's just, you don't know how to give preference to what, uh, at what time, when, at what time, you know? Um, so yes, like as a, a, you know, for the individual, we want to become self-reliant. But there's such, you know, subhanAllah, a balance on uh, not isolating uh, and compartmentalizing. I think what that's what happens. Uh, very, uh, th This is prevalent in terms of a lot of Western thought and ideology is to compartmentalize things. So 
you always have to connect individuals. So as you know, the, the hadith of Rasulullah about, you know, having the person, the you know, that man who is self-reliant, you know, uh, and, and be able to make from his own earnings. But then, you know, subhanAllah, uh, Rasulullah always has another hadith to link your your well-being or your strength with that of the community. The upper hand is better than the lower hand. You know, so the one that is giving is better, the one that's uh, that's uh, receiving. And so, yes, we uh, preserve our life and limb. And the basic level of Iman is to love for your, uh, you know, fellow human being as you love for yourself. Uh, and so there's that sharing of it. Uh, but, you know, subhanAllah, I think the guidance in how to prioritize and how to look at the situation, like, you know, you look at it now. What would be the Islamic perspective in a situation like this? If we have uh, mass that are within our country and that could save lives, and there's already a contractual obligation, there's a contractual obligation to a neighboring country that you've sent these masks to. So you're sending mass to a, you've already contractually ob obliged to send these masks. Uh, is from an Islamic perspective, is it better for you to just to hold those masks for your own country? So you'll still save lives in your in your community, okay? So you'll save lives within your own country, given, yes. But then you're going to be harming your neighboring country and you're contractually ob uh, obligated to them as well. You've made a contractual obligation. So what is what would be the Islamic thinking behind that? What would be our uh, path to a proper decision? Looking at the uh, reason that I guess these masks are being withheld or uh, what they're doing, you know, in the States regarding uh, 3M masks. I think that that's what it was that... Uh, yes, 3M, yes. Yeah, so I, I, to me, it's not... It seems to be more of a... Because it's difficult to read what's happening down there. They may say... I've found this more than once where they're talking about, you know, certain things. It seems to be from a humanitarian perspective, but then suddenly you're shocked because it's more of, uh, you know, a, an economic thing uh, from what I've understood because many of the... Uh, essential medical uh, equipment that uh, they need there uh, what the uh, mayor of or the governor of new york said was that you know uh, we're all bidding against each other the highest bidder wins so it's a matter of making money over here so uh, to me it's not a matter of oh we need it for ourselves you would kind of get if it was truly on account of that but then you really have to understand that there's more to it than what we see right now. There's more at play over here. So it might very well simply be a matter of making the most money that you can make in a time like this. So I, you know, subhanAllah, if that is the reason they're withholding these masks, it's absolutely inappropriate. Definitely. You can't make money off of people's misery. You can't, you know, basically monopolize this thing and say it's only for us. Uh, there are many narrations where the Prophet spoke ill of those who monopolize in a time when people need something, right? is among those narrations. Only one who is sinful, yani despicable in that sense, would do an act like this when people are in need of something that would, you know, in this case, keep them alive and protect them. Uh, so looking at what they're doing there, I think there's more at play over here, really. Uh, you know, let's say if it was where there's nothing, there's no economic gain to be had, and they have much more cases in the States, you know, I think Allahu A'lam from their projections, they said looking at closely or close to 200,000 dead from 100,000 to 200,000 dead were Yeah, they're of, saying, yeah, that's what they're estimating. Yeah, and their hospitals are already overwhelmed. And looking at what their nurses are putting out, 
they don't have any equipment. They're actually going to basically re-sanitize those equipments that they had, the masks. They're making masks at home and whatnot. Uh, SubhanAllah. So they may be in a greater need than we are. Uh, we might be better off in that case. So it would be understandable if it's only from that perspective where you can tell them, you know what, we need, we have a bigger need. We're sorry about this. But what he's doing is a bit more. He's actually invoking a certain uh, law that they had in place to, you know, force certain companies only to manufacture for their own selves. And I truly think knowing that person, hearing all that I've heard about him, reading all that I've read about him, it's more a financial economic decision he's making right now for his own personal gain, whereby mm -hmm. they can highest amount of money from those who are in need will understand. So it just goes to that, back to that concept of, you know, exploiting people's need. That's what I think it is right now, Allah understand. So, so, so you're saying, say, in a, in a situation, obviously there's a lot of unknowns. Um, yes. there's, a, there's a lot of known unknowns and unknown unknowns in this situation. Um, but you're saying if a situation was that even though you're contractually obligated to send, say, we've already purchased or we've already made a contract uh, for these masks, and we're expecting it, it's going to save our lives. But it's the prefer if you have the ability to keep that Islamically, would that be uh, uh, permissible to then just keep that those masks? Just say even there's no like shady business going on. Yeah, there's no shady business going on. I think every contract has a clause within it whereby you know if you cannot follow through with with you know delivering the items that were purchased, there's a certain and at this way that we do business here, even if we're doing it on a small scale, what would happen if you are unable to deliver goods? There's a clause inside there, penalty possibly and whatnot. So I see nothing wrong. No, but in you would still be able to deliver the goods. You're just diverting it to somebody else. It's like in a marketplace. What if like, uh, you, you, you know, the, uh, you know, we have hadith that speak out against this. Like you have in a marketplace that somebody has made a deal for an item. Another person cannot come in and and outbid you at the end last week. Once you've agreed, I'm going to sell this item to you. You're yes. not allowed to say, hey, this other person is coming and I'm going to give it to him for a higher price. No, I, that's definitely uh, agreed. I agree with that 100 percent. But here we're talking about goods maybe that were not manufactured then, but rather there was a promise to manufacture them at this point in the future. Or they might be, a, you know, a recurring agreement. OK, we've, we send we send every single year an X amount of goods. So let's say down the road you tell them, okay, you've got this shipping for this month, we can't do next month. So I'm looking at it like that. I mean, it's not a one-time thing. These are uh, recurring, uh, you know, uh, uh, contracts where, where they, it's not all given right there and then. But in the case that you're mentioning, definitely, let's say, and bring this down to a smaller scale, uh, let's say there's someone who I purchased items from on uh, Facebook Marketplace, and then suddenly I get a, a, you know, a message back, well, I can't sell it to you because I got a better bid from so-and-so or a different party, so therefore I'm giving it to him. So this is how I'm over here, definitely by the text of the hadith that you've mentioned over, uh, that you've mentioned. But in terms of, you know, uh, recurring goods that have not been yet made or there's a promise to deliver an X amount every single month, you know, in these types of situations, you know, the barura in that case would dictate certain, you know, uh, things. But we're talking about an ideal world. In what's yeah. taken, hey, I don't, you know, because if we can, we can talk about this hypothetically, and we can give a, you know, an assumption based on what we understand from the Islamic law on that. But then looking in reality, what's happened, I, I don't agree with what's happening right now. This is inappropriate, absolutely, because it's yes. not a humanitarian grounds that we're looking at. This is economic gain based on what Mr. Como mentioned. Now, I'll just mention, I hate to mention names, but I'll mention names over here. 
what he mentioned that, you know, he said that it's like a Facebook marketplace or any other marketplace. He said, we'll put a bid, an accepted bid, then suddenly we get a message back saying, oh, well, California, I'll bid you by this much. Can you match it? So it's just, a, it's free for all in that sense. And this is outright haram. But then that's what's taking place with a lot of this stuff. Yeah. I think, you know, Sheikh, like, um, the, uh, a lot of the uh, problems I'm seeing that, you know, some of the internal impediments, you know, within, uh, like, where everyone should be working together, uh, I think, again, it's it's caused because, like, the, the, uh, the whole culture, that whole uh, program that you've been given uh, from a young age is that, that individualistic idea. I'll give you an example. You know, uh, Trudeau is, is, is holding press conferences every day, you know, and I feel some of the questions that these journalists are asking, they're not beneficial questions. You know what I mean? Like they're still in that program. I have to sell views. I have to sell subscriptions. I have to get attention. Uh, obviously, COVID is the story of the week. And some of the questions I'm like. Are, do you even care about what's going on? Are you still like you're just trying to get that sound bite uh, to to get people to tune in? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, for for example, this whole mask issue. One of the reporters and Trudeau already answered the question. It's like, OK, we're going to be uh, talking with our American counterparts. We have a good relationship with them. Um, and, and he subtly mentioned that, hey, it works both ways. We have nurses uh, that go. There's like two thousand two to 3,000 nurses that go every day from Windsor to Detroit. And that's one of the epicenters of the pandemic. So it's like, we have many nurses that work. And, and, and if you, uh, if you, if you look at the numbers, like there are hospitals will shut down if those nurses don't go. Okay. So he's trying to subtly say, Hey, it works both ways. Like we have to work together. So he, he's subtly saying this, you know, you know what I mean? Two questions later, a reporter asks, are you going to take retaliatory measures against the United States if they don't send those masks? I'm like, what are you trying to get? Like, you're trying to, what if he said that? What if he said that? Or they take that question and somebody mixes in another response, like a more harsher response. And then you know how, uh, you know, the people down south can be, right? If they feel like they're being antagonized, they're much bigger than us. We reply, we, we rely much more on a lot of their supplies than they uh, may re rely on us. Oh, yeah. Like what, what is the, what is your purpose of asking a question like that? You know, as a, as a, as a reporter, you should be asking relevant questions, purposeful questions. It doesn't matter what your agenda is. I know every newspaper, I know every news outlet is either maybe uh, right uh, leaning or left leaning, whatever they like to characterize themselves as or centric. But again, it's like just something simple as a reporter or a simple uh, someone simple as like a, a mayor or a hospital administrator or a president or, a, you know, our health minister. Like, you know, we, we need to do things that are going to be the most beneficial for the situation. And if you still think individualistically, the whole group is going to you know miss out uh, in that sense, like everyone will uh, be a threat. You know, it's like, for example, the reason why they say in a fire line up, be calm and go together is that if you're the guy who starts running, people are going to trip, you know, it's going to be chaos, right? You're going to compromise yourself and you're going to compromise uh, the well-being of others. Well, Sheikh, I can't agree with you more. I mean, we, the culture over here in Canada, in the States, in the West at, in, at large, is that we're to be selfish, more or less. Although people talk against being selfish, but then 
that selfish nature, it is always brought up, subhanAllah, where uh, the individual is brought out so much so that it, to that person, the only thing that matters is myself, my accomplishments, what I can achieve. And subhanAllah, I mean, every so often, that state of mind is challenged, such as the time that we're in right now with the pandemic. That whole selfish nature is really, you know, if you try to counter what you've been brought up with for years at end, you know, and uh, you want a sudden change. There's no such thing as sudden changes. We all have been programmed in a certain way to prioritize our individual selves, yani, to be selfish. And uh, you can't change that. I mean, subhanAllah, like I said in the beginning, what I saw in the superstore, people rushing to get whatever that they got, fighting over things, people, you know, just to, to go back to that, I, to that uh, example, and I went down, I want to get some eggs as well. And the guy in front of, there's like five of us sitting in front of the fridge to get the eggs. You know how the, the fridges are in the mm-hmm. superstore. The guy sees us and there's six packets of eggs. He takes the whole thing in his buggy and walks in and says, I'm sorry, walks away and leaves. Buddy. Oh, subhanAllah. Not, it's not the small packets. I'm talking about the big one, 36, 32. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. He takes six of them. Um, what are you doing? They don't have a rule. They didn't put the rule yet to maximum nope. of two. Now it is. I mean, well, yeah. I'm not even sure if it is now, but uh, now with many things in the store, they have put, you know, conditions. But in the past, there was nothing. Now I'm talking about two weeks ago that this took place. Yeah. And like this is sheer to me, sheer selfishness that you saw people around you knowing that we all want the same thing. And you come and take it in front of our faces and walk out. I, you know, you can blame that person all you want, but if it was anyone else, they may have done the same thing as well because they were brought up with that selfish culture and they cannot be changed just by, by the, the prime minister telling you, please think of others. That's not going to work because we all have that, you know, self-centric approach. It's me first. I'm the one that counts. Forget about anyone else. If I go back home and things are about to rot, then I will become selfless and give this out to people who need it. That's how it works. Our food bank, it basically is out of food and they're begging people, give food to the food bank. There's nothing because the stores are running empty. At least that's how it was in the past. So subhanAllah, you know, the, the thing is to counter uh, what we see right now. We can't counter it by some magical word or by a speech or by, you know, the prime minister coming out and telling us, please be nice to each other. That's not going to work. This Do you need- think that this situation is revealing the true nature of our character? Because, you know, a lot of times we tout ourselves to be superior to other parts of the world, but maybe we were able to feel that level of superiority because we didn't have to fight over resources as much. That's the thing, subhanAllah. You know, it's really brought out the true nature of people and subhanAllah, and it's not going to become any better. We don't know how long this pandemic will sit in or what it will do, but then overall, we're looking at, you know, I don't think a two-week or three-week thing. It'll be for a few months. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. Illa ida rahimallah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, everything is easy for Allah jalla wa'ala. We pray to Allah to make it easy for us all. But this pandemic will only show the negative negative sides of our own personalities. And I think for a Muslim, if they exhibit anything like this, they have to work on themselves. Right? So use this moment. If you find that you have any negative quality within yourself, to work on yourself. So if you if you found out that you are somewhat selfish from what you've done, you know what? Work on myself. How can I improve myself and correct my approach to this matter? Uh, if someone, for example, becomes very hot-headed, rude, and begins to swear, 
That's something you got to work on because you never knew that you would come to this point. If someone becomes abusive, in that case, you understand that you got to fix that. So, I mean, the situation that we're in would bring out many uh, shortcomings in our own behaviors, in our personalities that we can focus on and work to correct. ta'ala. So I would say it's in itself a hidden blessing because in that case, we're able to work on things that we would never know otherwise that we possess. So Allah understand, you know, going out and meeting with brothers and kind of having that venting space where you're not always scooped up in the house that really it it, it 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 helps so much in covering those faults that the underlying faults that we might have but now that you're in the house 24 7 you know people who have homes it might be a bit easy but if you if you are in an apartment on a second or third mm. floor and there's no park no space the kids are in your hair day in day out i'm telling you Allah, it's a challenge for me with my three children it's a challenge yeah. How, how, yeah, how are you dealing with that? How are there things that uh, are? First of all, do they know what's going on? Or like, how do you explain to them uh, what's happening? Maria, uh, she understands to an extent. I'm not sure how much she understands, but she's saying, "Daddy, uh, there's a there's a disease outside." I said, "Yeah, there is." Oh, so be be careful. Uh, you know, COVID will get you. I said, okay, no, inshallah, Allah protect us all. So we say the dua, Bismillah, with the kids when you leave the house. But Maryam understands. Maria gets upset, my younger daughter. She gets very yeah. upset. You know, I want to go to the park. I can see the park right there. We said, you can't go to the park. It's written closed. You know, you can't go there. Yeah. So she gets upset because now she's stuck in the house 24 7. So you had, to, you had to become creative how to fill that time with the kids. You know, to kind of get their creative energy out, you know, alhamdulillah. Uh, that's where, you know, the family has to come together truly and work as a unit, Allah understand. You know, uh, may Allah make it easy. That's all I can say, Allah understand. The youngest one, Yusuf, you know, alhamdulillah. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't understand that much. He's just there, you know. Yeah. The They're just happy that people are around uh, giving him attention, right? Yes, 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 subhanAllah. So, uh, uh, like, uh, well, yeah. What are some things that you're doing to keep your family busy and uh, keep things, uh, you know, on the level? Well, I share, it's just a matter of routine. Uh, I, I'm trying to keep the routine that we had before. So, in the morning, they get up, we have breakfast, and afterwards, we have what they call it, the school uh, that we put in the in the house with the kids. You know, it's less than the time that they would spend in the school, but at least one and a half to two hours, sit down, do the basic skills: reading, writing, math you know, comprehension, uh, creativity, and they get that time where they can really, you know, uh, spend learning that stuff. And alhamdulillah, there are quite a few apps out there too that, you know, kind of take the burden off the shoulders of the parents where they can take the grade one, grade two curriculum, and that's it, alhamdulillah. After that, you know, Quran time, and they get some time on TV. And Sheikh, wallahi, I never see stupid cartoons. I thought, you know, what's the cartoon seems to be harmless, but then I'm watching this thing with my <laughs> Now you're actually watching these <laughs> with the kids. Yeah. The, the hidden messages, they're just so scary in us, Allah So, yeah. yeah, I would caution a parent from allowing the kids to watch just about anything. You know, with the Disney Plus uh, app that's out there, you might think, oh, Disney, it's nice. But then there's so many things on Disney. With those cartoons yeah. that you could watch back when I was very young, watching it now, I'm like, look at this stuff. You know, like it's completely yeah. anti-Islamic. So you have to avoid all that stuff so that, so that your kids will not be influenced by what they see Allah in the stuff. It's a yeah. true challenge, subhanAllah. May Allah make it easy for us all. But that's how the, we spend it in that way, Shia. Not every day is perfect, but you know, overall, we do get a few good days in it, alhamdulillah. That's <laughs> good. Alhamdulillah, I, I believe that, you know, Sheikh, uh, this, uh, pan firstly, this pandemic, uh, 
do you see signs of uh, uh, of the Day of Judgment? Do you see things uh, foretold in the Hadith or the signs of the hour through this pandemic? Do you see any of that? Well, I definitely see that shift. I mean, aside from the selfishness and the, uh, I just want like looking at what happens before the Qiyamah, where there's chaos, where you know the systems of the world may collapse to an extent. I always thought, how would that be? Like, it seems impossible. Like, if you go back two or three years ago, looking at the had speak of what takes place before Isa descends, it's a chaotic time, subhanAllah, where, you know, it seems that government, from the hadith, the governments aren't functioning as they should, at least as they are functioning today, back a year ago, two years ago. But now looking at the global pandemic and what's taking place in Italy, in Spain, in other countries across the world where the economies are at the brink of collapse and failure, subhanAllah, People don't have time for anything else. In the past, when things were good and you didn't have this pandemic at bay, you know, countries were interfering in, you know, others, you know, uh, you can say business. And uh, they were really influencing what takes place. They're trying to, you know, sh uh, form governments and whatnot. And the chaos that erupted from that is still we're witnessing the after effects. But then in the hadith, it speaks of a time as though people are so busy by themselves. So let's say when the Mahdi, the hadith speaks of the Mahdi coming out, it seems that no one really plays with the Mahdi. It just comes out, and then people give him bayah and whatnot. SubhanAllah. You think, what would keep people busy to an extent where they wouldn't even bother with this? I mean, to think of what we're going through right now, it gives you like an insight as to, you know, uh, that very issue that, okay, maybe something like this would take place to kind of, you know, keep people busy. Uh, maybe the economy collapses. Allahu ta'ala, what exactly takes place? But, you know, this is still talking in the future, towards the end of time when these events come to pass. But this gives you a small insight, and this should really be a wake-up call for every one of us. Aside from the, you know, the signs, the minor signs of the hour that are recurring as we speak right now, be it the you know, spread of fitna, be it the spread of, you know, like you said, the selfish nature, people hoarding, all these that you see, uh, we have the major signs that have not yet occurred. And when they do occur, they'll occur in quick succession, subhanAllah. And the time before it would be a time of oppression, and wrongdoing, subhanAllah, where people would uh, oppress each other. People taking what others need, selling it, price gouging, these are all oppressions or forms of oppression. So to me, just it's a wake-up call every single time that I see this, and it just makes me, you know, uh, more fearful and aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as it should for every one of us, to do best to come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in light of what we see. You know, I think it, it's... It's uh, it's peeled back a curtain, you know this uh, this facade, and we see the the reality of people. We we see the reality of uh, our our world. Like you know, perhaps maybe the whole world doesn't have to work so hard and for so long every day. You know, weekend and week out, missing time with their family, with their loved ones. Uh, missing time for dedicating towards uh, ibadah uh, because look if they want for something that they deem as a threat they can shut down everything 100% so not even reduce the work week from 50 to 40 hours to a little bit less so you have more time with your family not even that but they can shut down everything if they need to if they look at it as a threat then he goes to, you know, you wonder, like, do we need to produce so much? Because isn't a lot of that 
uh, money being fueled into the hands of a few? Like, isn't it just going and being channeled and funneled into hands of a few people so you can have multi-billionaires, so you can have, you know, people who are extremely wealthy that have their own jet planes and their own uh, multiple palaces on every single continent. You know what I mean? I, I think to a certain degree, it's peeled like it's, uh, you know, uh, raised the curtain on a lot of the facade of like, hey, maybe maybe my time, like I, I know right now it's like maybe you're a little bit too much time with the family, but, you know, like it's good though that you feel, hey, I, I'm spending a little bit more time. I've always wanted to have more time with the family. Now you have obviously to this extreme, but if they can stop the whole system out of fear of this disease, then can't we slow it down to have a better relationships, a better humanistic experience? I should, I completely agree with that. I mean, that you have the time that you have right now, you use it to the best, uh, you know, use it in the best way possible. With the family, I mean, we may have not connected with our wives, with our children, the way that we are now, alhamdulillah, we should use a time in that way where we can connect with them, to know them better. How often is it that I've heard from brothers and sisters complaining that my kids don't bother with me? It's as if they're someone else. And you ask them, how long have you spent with your children? They're working, you know, both the mother and the father. They'll be working full-time jobs. They come back home exhausted. And they say, well, we spent time with our kids. When? They spend time with them maybe on a Saturday or a Sunday. Uh, maybe sometimes on the Friday when it's off. And that is it. So the children grow up not knowing the parents and then the parents complain afterwards, oh, my kids, look at them. Now you've got a chance truly really to connect with your children, subhanAllah. You know, it kind of reminds me of the hadith that the Prophet sallallahu said, kullukum ra'in wa kullukum mas'oolun ar-ra'iyyata. And also the other narration, said, that, you know, every one of you is responsible for those under their care. So every individual, the mother, the father, all responsible. Their responsibility is not just to give food and, you know, uh, give a place to stay in or live in, but rather it's also that, that love and that, that care that, you know, really it's the party of life that brings the kid up in a, in a very wholesome way. Uh, when a parent just gives the money and, you know, does not show any love or affection, the kid will find that affection and love outside the family home. Now you've got a chance to really connect with them, show that love, that care, that affection that they need to grow up as positive, you know, creative, uh, giving individuals within any community. Prophet Sallallahu said in the second hadith that I, that I read from Sahih al-Bukhari, that, you know, anyone who was given a or is given a responsibility, any children to take care of, a family, and they are, you know, they neglect that duty, they would not smell the scent of Jannah, subhanAllah. And this is in Sahih al-Bukhari. It truly is a warning. We have to take the time that we have to do our best with the children, our best with the family. You know, uh, I think, wallahi, this is in itself like a hidden blessing Allah Jalla wa'ana has given us. We stay inside us. All you're hearing right now from the, uh, those in, in leadership roles, I mean, in the government, local governments, and the, from the mayor, and everyone else, stay at home, stay at home. So Alhamdulillah, use that time to stay at home, use it wisely to connect with your kids on that level, inshallah. And I want to share with you one, one uh, the, there's an ayah from the beginning of this whole musibah that I, now always reflecting upon that, it's ajib, subhanAllah. And this is in Surah Al-Nahl, verse 120, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ إِبْرَاهِمَ كَانَ أُمَّةً أُمَّةً قَانِتًا لِلَّهِ حَنِيفًا 
So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam as being an ummah. So in your mind, an individual, and yet Allah describes him as an ummah. I mean, uh, the ulama have discussed what ummah over here refers to, يعني, a person who guides others through his behavior, through his akhlaq. He himself is a role model, an example, living by the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, doing the best in that regard. But here, it's the word itself is so mind-boggling, ummah, that Allah jalla wa'ala referred to Prophet uh, Ibrahim as an ummah. And there are other companions who were referred to with that same description, being an ummah in onto themselves. I think mm-hmm. it was Prophet who was also given that description of being an ummah, subhanAllah. Because when Rasulullah sent him to Yemen, he was an individual who all of Ahlu Yemen basically came to Islam on account of what they saw in him. They heard from him. They saw in him that sincerity and they became Muslims, subhanAllah. So we have that chance now ourselves to become ummahs within our own homes in the sense of being a true role model. You know, you don't want the kids to see, oh, the father sitting down watching TV 24-7, you know, not even sharing a moment with the kids, uh, with the wife, disregarding them. That's not what we want. We don't want people to abuse it that they have. They should use it in a productive, Islamic, Islamically productive way. That is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm. Yeah, no, I believe uh, also, wasn't it? Um, I think Rasulullah mentioned, uh, was it the father of Sayyid bin Zayd, the one that would go around um, uh, saving um, the uh, before Islam? So in the time of Jahiliyyah, uh, uh, freeing or trying to save all the baby girls uh, from being like he kept on Tawheed. And uh, uh, I think he referred to him as well, that he would be uh, an ummah, yeah. They want to make us all role models that others would uh, come to Islam through it. Uh, to protect us all, I mean. I mean. So uh, now, Sheikh, uh, what are some uh, practical things uh, that we should be in preparation for? Because I think... Uh, again, a lot of it is in a materialistic sense, and I t- uh, discussed this uh, briefly uh, with my previous guest on the last podcast. But I believe there are a lot of things that we should be talking about in a in a very practical sense. So obviously, the Jummah issue was one issue that was being discussed, and that was a very practical issue in terms of our ibadah as Muslims. Uh, it's part of our um, our routine, and obviously, we know it's it's fard. But what about um, you know, Ramadan is going to be coming up. So what are some issues in regards to Ramadan that we should be aware about? Um, we should definitely be prepared for, because I know Muslims in the community that have died due to the illness. So uh, how is the janazah going to be affected by this? Is there going to be a different protocol, uh, you know, for washing the body, uh, for the funeral prayer? So, you know, these are some, I think, practical questions that... Uh, you know, maybe we should get uh, some insight. We have a lot of time. We need to prepare for it. Like even a will. A lot of people ha- have never made a will. You know, they, uh, there's nothing in regards to that. We know the hadith of Rasulullah the importance of uh, of making wills. So um, what are some ways now we can practically prepare for some of these issues? Because uh, if not now, then when? When are we going to talk about them? When are we going to discuss this? When are we going to prepare for it? These issues are paramount, absolutely important, subhanAllah. And uh, 
we tend to only think of them when uh, a situation arises, when in fact it should be in our minds all the time. I'm talking about the will, the wasiyah. I'll start with that. As the Prophet ﷺ informed their companions to have their wasiyah, their wills, written and near them. You know, wasiyatahu maktubatan indahu. So it's right beside them. So the description will be here showing that this should be so close to you, near to you all the time, that it's an indication of how important it is, right? So one should do or go to that extra length of having it written, documented, and uh, known to the to the family that I do have a wasiyah. That's one problem that I, that, you know, from, we've all experienced deaths within the family, subhanAllah. And sometimes when uh, members of, you know, families pass away, there, it's known that there was a wasiyah, but where is that wasiyah? Allahu A'lam. People were searching in the house, looking for it. And it's as if it was hidden in some nook or cranny. No one knows about it, subhanAllah. So that mm-hmm. has, it has to be, it has to be something that people know of. It's clearly written. And in a place where everyone can get to when the time is, you know, when the time is upon them, subhanAllah. So the wasiyah, it should be there. Now the wasiyah, the will itself, I mean, we're looking at different forms of wills. Uh, you have the Islamic will and you have the Canadian will. Uh, Islamic wills do hold up in the context of Canadian law as long as no one disputes it. So, you you know, in terms of the divisions, I'm talking more about the Islamic uh, laws of inheritance. Uh, when all the family is together and they agree to it, no one can say, no, we it's all not happen. It'll occur exactly as written in the document. If there's a dispute that arises, that's when an issue may come up and then they might take it back to the law and, uh, and divide it in accordance to that law and style. Anyways, um, the will should document any money that you owe to others. This is an important thing. You know, people now, maybe on account of the economy, the situation, people might losing jobs, they have to document, I borrowed an X amount of money from so-and-so and so-and-so. Uh, and then clarify uh, what he's given out. So if he's loaned something to someone, that those things be documented as well. Also to indicate where, which accounts, bank accounts that the person has, what is roughly in each account, so that you know people uh, wouldn't be stunned or shocked. There is something or there is, there is nothing. I would also advise people in a time like this, and it should be from before, that they, you know, add someone to their account who would, who would have access to the account, you know, just in case that something does happen, there is someone else there that can open the account and, you know, distribute the money, who's a trustworthy person, distributed properly in accordance to the uh, guidelines of the Islamic law. So that should be something we shouldn't be debating about. It should have been done yesterday. So if someone has not done this already, they should do it. If you're asking, where do I get the Islamic will from? There are tons out there. Like I said, even if you don't use a certain document uh, paper, just open up Word, write out these points, what you have, what you owe, uh, that counts, and you know, put down the witnesses, and then they can attest to it. That piece of paper should be should suffice as long as there's no dispute. Uh, I don't think you can go to uh, law offices right now because you know I think they're closed to an extent. Whatever the case, you can go about. There's a know. there's a lot of uh, work being done though um, through uh, just teleconference or you know this type of software. But the problem is is that in a legal sense, uh, you have to be there in person, and I think that's might be the restriction. I don't know if the legal um, system may ad- like adapt or change for this crisis because a lot of things aren't changing. But I but I had a lawyer on just in the past episode. And 
you know, these are some of the uh, challenges is that, you know, you need somebody like in person and witnessing it and so forth. Yeah, so I mean, for the time being, you can take by the road I've mentioned uh, just to document these things down so that no one's help would be lost and something owed to you would not be forgotten. Because when a person dies, the inheritance is everything they've left behind. And this is what I find really troubling because I've dealt with a few inheritance cases here uh, in the city, in, in Vancouver and Toronto, where the thought is the inheritance only includes what's in the account. No, it's every single thing the person owns, even the dishes in the house. Those are sold, assessed, and then the money taken from that added to the inheritance. You know, this is the thing that people find, you know, I guess troubling. Is it, that's all? I said, yeah, every single thing has to be assessed, added to whatever the man has in terms of the accounts, the monies, and cash on hand. All of that is assessed. And then from that entire amount, we would divide the inheritance accordingly in light of what we have in the Quran and Sunnah. Uh, so that's one thing, Sheikh, in terms of the wasiyah. As for Ramadan coming up, we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give relief to the ummah uh, that we're, you know, we go back to a normal condition. But if it does not, well, alhamdulillah for anything Allah jalla wa'ala decrees, if it does not, then in that case, uh, one should not abandon the rites and rituals that we do in Ramadan anyways. Of course, that be fasting, reading Quran, coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I think we should be mindful of how the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has spent Ramadan with the Sahaba in Medina, how it was mm. spent. They did not have taraweeh the way that we have today, day in, day out. Yes, during Rasulullah's time, he began taraweeh and some Sahaba joined him the first night, the second night, the masjid was even more full. The third night when it was jam-packed and the masjid could not take any more, Rasulullah did not come out. And then the Sahaba told, told Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, oh, we're waiting for you. He said, I'm aware that you're there. I will not come out. Why? Because he said, I fear that this prayer would become an obligation upon you, become a fardh upon you, and you would not mm. be spared. So in that case, out of mercy for the ummah, he did not come out. But what did Rasulullah sallallahu do? He continued with that taraweeh, that night prayer that we're, we're calling taraweeh, or qiyamul layn. He continued with that every single night in the privacy of his home, subhanAllah. So we should do the same thing as well, reviving that you know, sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If you can't do it in the masjid, then you do it inside your home. Uh, even during Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu's khilafah, the Sahaba did not join the salah together and perform taraweeh as we're doing today. This was from the time of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu. When he saw the people praying in small groups, he said, Would not, wouldn't it be better if we joined everyone together? And we had, you know, one imam, one jama'ah. They did that, and from that time till today, we are performing the Salat Jama'ah as we all enjoy, Alhamdulillah. So, I mean, mm. not give up on anything that we're doing in Ramadan, but make a point truly to utilize your time in a way that's pleasing to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. It'll be my first Ramadan. And I'm sure everyone's first Ramadan not being able to pray Jum'ah and not being able to perform Salat Jama'ah and not being able to perform Taraweeh. But for that, we say Alhamdulillah in any case. We do our best. You do the best that you can, and alhamdulillah, you reward on account of your effort. By the way, if you have, I'm not sure if you might have heard this. People asking about virtual taraweeh. Have you sure you come across that, right? Virtual jumaat, virtual taraweeh. Yes, yes. What, what, what are your thoughts about that? Well, definitely not. You cannot perform a virtual taraweeh. I'm not sure if they're going to have holograms coming up pretty soon. We can all pray as holograms, but that's not going to even work even yeah. then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know, Subhanallah, Sheikh. I feel that 
this really tests the state of who we are, what, what's what's in our hearts. And uh, like uh, I was reflecting on the ayah in Surah Al-Ankabut, uh, where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala said, "Indeed, we tested those who were before them, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will make it known those who are true, and uh, make it certainly known the falsehood of those who are liars." So, you know, this is is it just reveals it's like that test. It's like uh, you can have. Uh, you know, I've given this analogy before. You can have two pieces of metal that look exactly the same. They can look exactly. They can look identical. You can have something that looks like real gold, and it's right beside false gold, and it looks exactly the same. How do you tell the difference between the two? The qualities of each piece of metal. You have to test it. You have to. You put one under pressure, and you see which metal crushes first. You see, you put one under heat, which one is going to melt first? Melt first. You put something into stress, you're going to see which one is going to break first, you know? So it really reveals the state of, uh, of, uh, of who a person is, you know, in this type of situation. Um, you know, this issue of Jum'ah, uh, you know, it, it, again, are we going to listen to what the ulama say? Or are we going to say, hey, no, like, listen, uh, this makes me feel good by uh, doing this virtual Jummah, I'm just going to do the virtual Jummah. Because you could have the good intention, possibly, but we know that fundamentally it is also a test for you because you could have a good intention, but, uh, you know, as they say, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It has to be in accordance with the Sharia. It has to be in accordance with the Sunnah. And, uh, you know, I'm reminded of an incident that occurred with Imam Buwaita Shafi when he was imprisoned. And he was prevented from going for Jummah. So, you know, as, as you probably know, Sheikh, he was imprisoned uh, for um, going against that whole uh, campaign that the Quran was created. So he's one of the, uh, the, the ulama that was in prison. And uh, the adhan for Jummah would come. He would make ghusl. Uh, he would wear whatever nice clothes he has within the prison. Uh, where Atar, and he would go to respond. And the, and the guard would say, you know, yeah, Imam, don't make me embarrass you you know i can't let you out and so he said you know i said i testify i want to witness allah that i responded to your call and he prevented me you know subhanallah so you know you, you we have like the test it comes out in any situation any circumstance that we're in what is the trueness to uh to our deen what is the authenticity uh of our iman the thing is that many, um, this is the thing I find talking to some who really get emotional. In a time like this, when we are faced with fitna, and this fitna is unlike the average fitna because it's disrupted life as we know it. So during a time like this, we usually have two things that conflict with each other. Uh, we have raw emotion, which gets the better of us or the better of many. And, uh, they give into it. Raw emotion in the sense like, oh, my salah, my Jum'ah, how can this be? I recall a brother a few weeks ago said, yeah, Sheikh, what is this? We should be performing Jum'ah. We have to, we should only fear Allah. Allah will take care of us. And you know, the emotion is surging. I could sense it just by the person talking. And I said, SubhanAllah, ya akhi. I mean, I do understand, you know, the emotions that you have, may Allah make it easy. But at the same time, raw emotion, you cannot just simply take by it. When raw emotion conflicts with sound intellect, right? The law, I, mean, I, I like to say, refer to this as being 
the uh, Islamic logic. So you have Islamic logic and you have the raw, in, uh, raw emotion. When the two conflict, we would give priority to the Islamic logic over that raw intellect. Um, so I was explaining to the brother why and it's difficult to talk to someone when they're so emotionally charged. Yeah. Yeah, all I could tell the brother is, you know what, when you calm down, we'll talk about this because there's no way you can talk to someone in that condition. Um, yeah, later on, I discussed with the you brother. Should, you should have got him to make wudu, Sheikh. Sure. But you, like, it, make, make, make wudu and lay down on my couch. <laughs> What's you know there there's a you know there's a reason why Sheikh you know those psychiatrists they get people to lay down on the couch you know what I mean and we have this from the hadith of Rasul Sallam and sometimes like you know brother sit down you know you're uh, lay down you know take and it, talk to me in a state of laying down you can't it's hard to get really upset while you're laying down you know I couldn't tell him to lay down because we were doing social distancing so it was over the phone. <laughs> Lay down in the snow, <laughs> cool off. <laughs> it was the time that he spoke to me was minus thirty over here, so it's last on Allah, Allah, but I'm frozen outside. Yeah, Allah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so a lot of people they kind of you know they they gave into raw emotion, and I've seen it. How can we have Ramadan without taraweeh? I'm like, yeah, this is the way it's gonna be. I mean, if Allah wills, it might be this way. Alhamdulillah, pray at home. How can you pray at home? Like you have to pray at home. Rasulullah told us, don't make your homes like graveyards. So, I mean, these things always come up, subhanAllah, where that raw emotion gets the better of many, and we have to kind of control ourselves to come back to that, that plane of you know, Islamic logic. And may Allah make, it, make us all those who take by the Islamic logic and put us at that raw emotion, Allah understand. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's always, I think, going to be a challenge with, oh, yeah. with anyone. And as you mentioned, that's why, um, you know, the, um, the ayah in the Quran that verily it is, uh, the ones who fear Allah are the uh, are the ulama, you know. Yes. So the ibadulama. Yeah. So the so it goes to show that the true uh, the proper emotion is linked with alm. You know what I mean? Like the like uh, you know maybe you're um, you're fearing I'm disobeying Allah subhanahu wa taala. But then out of that fear of disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we, we've known people who have done crazy things. You know, that okay, uh, oh, I'm disobeying Allah, so I'm going to do this. No, it's it's linked. The, pe the people who are truly fearing Allah aren't the ones that respond just emotionally. You know what I mean? It's not just an emotional thing. It's it's uh, based on ilm. فَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا اللَّهُ Like the first thing is to know Allah, is to have knowledge before uh, you know, you even asking for forgiveness. Yeah, there's something I want to share with you over here. This is uh, from one of the one of our cities over here, not in Alberta. This is in uh, Ontario, where they the this is before the whole uh, clampdown occurred on the uh, prayer places. So there was more or less a plea: please do not, you know, uh, perform prayers in your mosques uh, because of the situation. And if you do, please have that distancing, right? A meter and a half between each person. So um, uh, this this masjid, uh, they actually had one uh, confirmed case of COVID-19. And then the mayor spoke to them, you know, I mean, not the mayor, this is the MP, spoke to them, please yeah. lock the place down. So they closed down for one or two days and they opened up afterwards. What does that tell you? Yeah, you had a confirmed case. It's not a matter of, oh, 
you might have something. This is an actual confirmed case that you had in your masjid. And then you close down because someone calls you up. Then afterwards, you think the coast is clear, open up again. I mean, this is the thing that we're dealing with. It's not a matter of individuals taken by raw emotion. These are people in leadership positions. And that, I go back to that hadith. كُلُّكُمْ رَاعٍ وَكُلُّكُمْ مَسْؤُولٌ If you're responsible for opening a masjid and people then get sick on account of that, who's responsible here? You, because you opened it up and now people are getting sick. You can't tell people, oh, have precaution, whatnot. And there's a guideline that we have now in place. I think it's less than 15. But with the social distancing, before it was less than 50, I think, right? Initially, yeah, yeah, it was. And, and I think right now it's supposed to be no, no more than five in, a, in Ontario. Yes, I think it's no more than five people. And one of the biggest um, sources of transmission now is community transmission. Uh, people, unfortunately, are still having gatherings. They're having dinner parties or, you know, people are getting together. They're saying even uh, we should at this point avoid uh, different families to get together. Like uh, just because of the fact that it's prevailing right now, really through the community, it's a community transmission because all the travel has stopped, Sheikh, right? So the only thing that's going to transmit this is through community. You know, I've heard people talk about this, Sheikh, and the thing is that they say, oh, you know, I'm feeling good. I'm not coughing. But when I tell the brother, what if you, you are actually carrying the virus right now and yeah. you're asymptomatic? What if you take it to someone, your own dad, who is elderly or your uncle or to someone's father or mother that you visited them in the past few days. What if they die on account of what you did by going there and spreading that virus to them? Now they're immunocompromised, they could be elderly, they could have underlying conditions, whatever the case. Yeah, and he, how would you feel? And you know, the guy did not answer, but then this is the thing that we have to really, I think, put people on the spot at times. And, and you know, log logically also, Sheikh, uh, from a like, even from an Islamic logic perspective, as you as you mentioned, the rule isn't given for the exception. The rule is given for the general people. It's like somebody saying, I remember when I was uh, giving dawah to my one of my friends in high school, and I told him, like, I started quoting to him all the statistics about uh, how bad alcohol was, right? So I'm trying to give him dawah and tell him, you know, you shouldn't drink and, and all that stuff. Um, and so he's saying, you know what, I, I, I don't drink a lot. I can hold my liquor. So he started giving all these excuses um, for why, like, you know, he, he's exempt uh, from all the uh, harms of alcohol, right? But the problem is, again, it, you, when, when you think like that, you're actually thinking in a very arrogant way because does that mean uh, you can make a guarantee that at no point will you be infected? Say, for example, a person who is meeting with people. So are you going to guarantee? For the whole world, that at no point you'll be infected and you will be an unknown character carrier. For uh, a person who drinks alcohol, are you telling me at no point will you one day get depressed and drink a few more bottles of alcohol and get behind the wheel? Because I guarantee you, the guy who um, is in jail right now for drunk driving didn't start his week off, you know, thinking to himself, "I'm going to kill somebody by drunk driving this week." You know what I mean? So do you see the uh, okay, number one uh, you know thing to to mention? The other thing is is that think about how we can function as a whole as a society. We don't make our rules based on the exception. We make it based on the general for the public. You know what I mean? So if everyone considers themselves the exception, then you can no longer make a rule for anybody because you know then it's like no, I am the exception. No, I'm not a carrier. Oh, I'm not a carrier. You have chaos, right?
Definitely, subhanAllah. That's the thing. I mean, this goes back to that, what we spoke of before, people becoming selfish. Maybe selfish in terms of, you know, uh, uh, hoarding stuff. And here, selfish once again in terms of me enjoying my life as I did before. Who cares about anyone else? I'm feeling good. That's all that matters, me. And yeah, I mean, it's really mind-boggling what people, and these are brothers and sisters, may Allah Jalla wa'ana guide them, who may be breaking the guidelines and the rules, thinking, you know what, I'm feeling good. Nothing is wrong with me. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, I mean, you repeat till you, it's like a broken record over and over again. Till you get to that point and you think, subhanAllah, when will they understand? Till they fall ill and become sick in the hospital? Allah mustaan. So, what are, so, so, like in in Ramadan now, okay, obviously before Ramadan, uh, you know, obviously we're going to have an Eid uh, as well that's going to be coming up. So, what uh, are some advices you can give? What can we do? So, pre Ramadan, during Ramadan, and possibly even for Eid, what are some things that we can do instead of things that we would normally do? So what are some beneficial things that we can do within the homes, with our families and, and whatnot? Well, I think the first thing is that you should set up a place where you have your family. Uh, you know, if you have a bigger home, alhamdulillah, you can set up a, a room. Or if you have a smaller home, like an apartment, set a corner where you have your salamats on the ground, where it looks at least visibly as a prayer place. And tell the kids that this place, you don't play in it. This is a place of salah. So as the father comes, he calls the adhan. And then you sit down, do exactly as you would do in the masjid, make dua, make sunnah, make the 12 rawatib sunan in the course of the day and night, uh, make dua between adhan and iqama, get your kids involved and ask them, say this, make dua for mommy and daddy. So in that case, I'm talking about younger kids, my own kids, but then everyone who has different kids at different age groups, you know, you can vary at this activity. But holding the salah in itself, uh, adhan, iqama, Having that, 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 that physical space that's known to be the musalla of your home, do that. I think that's very important because it's not a matter of one, two weeks that we're in for this. It looks like it's in the long haul, Allah but what, 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 about, what are your thoughts about these special COVID duas or these special corona duas that are being circulated around? Well, some of them, they're based on the authentic academic, right? Uh, for example, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. billah. Uh, this dua is the dua when you leave your house, and whoever says it, it says wuqit wa kufit. Uh, it will be said to that person that you will be safe and Allah Jalla wa'ala will take care of you. So this is a dua not for COVID-19, it's a dua for any time, right? Mm -hmm. So I would encourage people then to say this dua and always have it in the tip of their tongue whenever they leave the home. Uh, for example, the dua that we should be saying anyways, Bismillah, three times after Fajr, in the morning, three times in the evening after Maghrib. So this likewise would give protection for the entire time from everything by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not just for COVID-19, but for anything. Um, the problem is, aside from these, you know, they have Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-barasi wal-junoon wal-judhamu min sayyi'il asqam. That dua, people say this is the COVID-19 dua. No, it doesn't talk about COVID-19. It just speaks about in general, infectious disease in general. Um, so. That aside, we have to have an, a dua ethic in our lives, whereby we're incorporating all of this dua in the course of our day and night. That's the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But we have to understand at the same time that even if we are hit by uh, this marab, right, we have to turn to Allah and make dua regardless. One shouldn't think, oh, I said that dua, why am I sick now? Well, there could be a number of reasons, right? Aside from getting into the, into the full scope of why this might have happened, we say this is qabahullah wa qadrullah. 
Allah has decreed that this take place. So we say Alhamdulillah. First and foremost, that we submit to Allah, be pleased with Allah's decree upon us, but then we work towards bettering ourselves, self-isolating, uh, protecting our children, not spreading it to others. All these things that we have to take into, into, into consideration. So it's not just taking picking one little thing and think, oh, I'm safe with this. Because some people I know for a fact may say a certain dua, then they say, you know what, Alhamdulillah, I am safe, I'm bulletproof, I can walk outside right now in the midst of people cough and sneeze or walk and breathe in their spit and you know what, I'll be safe. No, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, 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 that's pretty hardcore, uh, Sheikh, like, <laughs> it's like, come on, sneeze on me, I dare you, sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> the, I hope that's not going to be the new Tide Pod challenge, Sheikh. <laughs> you know, all the kids, like, I think that's another thing we should be monitoring is yes. internet usage. Yes. That's another thing. Like, think about how many stupid things uh, kids and, you know, sometimes even adults have been convinced to do by watching internet, like that Tide Pod challenge, the self choking challenge. It's like, you know, subhanAllah, what is this? Like, and then there's this this one that uh, you get people to jump up and then you kick their legs out from underneath them and people are cracking their skulls. So I think uh, one thing you identified earlier, I which we should reiterate is, uh, yeah, we should be monitoring and reminding each other. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we shouldn't like... Um, I agree with that, Chef. We should be doing that definitely because some of our... You know, it's not just kids. Some of the youth, some of the young adults, they may be influenced to do something stupid in a time like this, subhanAllah. Uh, and I won't be, I will not be surprised if there's going to be a COVID-19 challenge. That might come up a lot this time. Oh, yeah, people, Sheikh, uh, from, I, I, I had some uh, articles and um, social media posts that were forwarded to me. People are like licking uh, doorbells. They're, they're doing like all sorts of like crazy things like, or a person who they have it, they're going around trying to spread it. You know, subhanAllah, it's like uh, when we go through the situation, you're going to follow the path of shaitan, you know, or you can follow the path, uh, you know, where you, Hizb rahman or Hizb shaitan like, you know, which, which side are you going to join, you know? protect us and our children i mean the other the very other scary statistic sheikh is that this uh, internet uh, pornography usage has spiked has gone up you know so high so at a time like where we should be getting closer to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hoping that we will be saved through our deeds righteousness our duas will be accepted this is another big fitna uh, sheikh I, I don't know do you have some uh, comments about that because this is a big thing even before this covid thing but now you have too much free time I don't know honestly how someone can spend time on that when you're in the midst of your family. Uh, and you know, you do hear complaints about this. People locking themselves in the room or in a washroom and doing this kind of garbage. It's a lot of you know, you're, you're, you're with your kids, you're with the family, with your wife. What if any, I mean, aside from the muraqaba of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we should have in our minds, knowing that Allah is aware of us, watching us, knowing what we do. Aside from that, we should also have a keen sense of haya within ourselves what if my kid walks in on me and I'm doing this thing? What if my wife sees me and I'm doing this kind of garbage? That should be within us, that, that sense of shame, that embarrassment. Uh, the reality is, uh, Prophet Sallallahu mentioned that kulluhu haya. this deen in its entirety is based on that concept of modesty, haya, you know, bashfulness, being, you know, aware of those around you. 
So you would not do something inappropriate in the presence of others, right, and people around you. When someone does, that shows a lack of faith in deen and discipline in the faith in general. Um, so we have to really, you know, Jameen, it's, if someone is doing this, let's say they're doing it in the past casually, but now they're head over heels into this garbage. Now it's a sign truly that the man has a, or the person has an issue. It could be brother or sister in this case that have a problem. They have to address this issue, you know, face front and correct that matter that they're dealing with and, you know, come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, what if in the case someone is watching, and this is I, the, the last line of defense I look at, in the case that someone is watching this, and then they suddenly, Allah Jalla decrees that that is the last moment, and they pass away in that condition, we know for a fact from the ahadith, it says that the person will be revived or brought on Yawm Al-Qiyamah in the same condition that he was in dunya. So the narration says that someone basically died on account of taking poison, They'll be raised on Yom Al-Qiyamah taking that poison. If someone died by stabbing themselves, the same thing would take place. If someone dies watching pornography, the same thing would happen on that day. And mind you that on that day, Allah would be angry like unlike any other time, subhanAllah. Mm. So just imagine being raised in that condition before Allah This should be in itself, you know, enough to pull someone away from that. But once again, it's a matter of faith and Iman. Do we have it within ourselves? Is that Iman, that awareness of Allah Jalla wa'ala strong within us to prevent us from this or not? And sadly, with many, it isn't. And yeah. we've had yeah. one-on-one sessions about who Allah is. And if you ask the youth, and I think I mentioned this in the past in, uh, to you that there was a survey done in a, in a Muslim country. Without mentioning the name of the Muslim country. And this shows you a lack of faith overall, a lack of deen. Yeah, you might see someone, Muhammad, Ahmed, Zaid, Khalid, Muslims, right? By name, they appear to be Muslim with a beard, hijab, uh, short dress, attire. They appear to be Muslim. Now, they went on the street of that Muslim country to do a survey to see how much people knew about their faith, right? And this is the Muslim country people brought up with Tawheed, with La ilaha illallah. It's part of the curriculum. When you come up in grade one, two, three, four, five, you don't know about the basics of your faith. So here, subhanAllah, they went in the street and asked basic questions, the one-on-one of Islam. Come arkan in Islam. How many pillars are there for Islam? It's not about mentioning what they are. How many are they? People are like, ah, oh, I should know this. I feel so embarrassed. Could it be three or four? I'm not really sure. I'm like, oh, billah bin khada billah. What do you mean three or four? You have people, subhanAllah, who, Allah al-musta'an, were asked, name three of the pillars of Iman. And the guy says tahara and says something else. Yeah, I mean, nothing to do with the pillars of Iman, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's a shock. Now, that was the condition, that prevalent condition there. People, the same people were asked, can you name to me the top singers right now in the uh, in the Arab world? Oh, one, two, three, four. Right away. What are the top singles of this person? Oh, this, 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 and this. Uh, how many songs did that one, you know, have? Oh, here, this is the a number. By heart, subhanAllah. Now, move over here. Forget about that example. Here locally, I asked the question, uh, who is Allah? Right, just a simple question. And then um, the, the kids that I asked, uh, they were ranging in ages from maybe 10 all the way up to 15, 16. Who is Allah? Allah is my God. Who is your God? Allah. So it's a, a circle. They're unable to get out of it. To explain further, who is Allah? They don't know, subhanAllah. So it takes us to the basics of Tawheed, right? People don't even have it nowadays. So we're talking about 
fear Allah, be aware of Allah, be conscious of Allah. How can you be conscious of Allah or aware of Allah or fear Allah if you don't know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That's the thing that we're struggling with right now. The ignorance, the jahil comes like this. These are the basic fundamental aspects of faith, the essential components of what makes you a Muslim. People lack it today. So if they lack this, then to have that sense that Allah is watching me, aware of me, that's not going to be even an issue for that person who's practicing whatever they're doing, watching pornography. Mm -hmm. They're not going to, if you tell them, fear Allah, okay, yeah, I'll fear Allah. But what does that mean to him? You, it you know what's uh, interesting to note, uh, Sheikh, is that there was uh, a recent study that was done that shows that um, viewing pornography actually causes brain damage. And they mentioned a specific part of the brain. Do you know where it causes brain damage, Sheikh? In your frontal lobe. And so it reminded me, you know, in the ayat in the Quran, like, you know, you're going to be grabbed by your lying, sinful forelock, you know. But this is the part of the brain, Sheikh, that actually suffers damage. That's why they say that, for example, um, it, 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 it harms the development of like people who are brain still growing, say teenagers. So it harms the development of that. And guess what? If you once your brain is developed, if you do that, it actually causes damage so that it reverts back to a more adolescent uh, state, uh, your brain. So it's, uh, you know, even from a like biological standpoint, you know, these are obviously non-Muslims and this is the research that they've come up with. I read one research before German, it was in one of the uh, German uh, research, it said that it, it takes away the gray matter of the brain or limits the gray matter of the brain, uh, so it decreases, right? SubhanAllah, so yeah, essentially this is what, uh, it's harmful. Something, you know, we know nothing is forbidden in Islam except with hikmah and wisdom. We may at first understand the hikmah, we may not understand it directly, but after some time we may get to know what that hikmah is. So. This could be very well in this light that pornography people might not may not have understood the hikmah behind the prohibition, thinking, oh, it's nothing. It's just, uh, you know, it's uh, not harmful. But now as studies have progressed and, you know, these research papers have come out, they've clarified to us the harm being there in watching or looking at that which is haram, right? We're told lower your gaze. Don't, don't stare or look at something intently. Avoid that which is haram. People don't take it for they take it for granted. They don't give it much thought. They think, oh, it's not a big deal. But it is a big deal, Allah understand. Aside from the medical research, it's something that'll be written in your record that you look at this thing. And just imagine if you die in that condition where you would be on your mulqiyam. You seek refuge with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from that condition. So, Sheikh, uh, the, the one question we didn't uh, have a chance to go into too much detail, but maybe we can go over some aspects of it. And that is uh, the... Um, the janaza, the you know, the ghusl, you know, all these different issues that could be affected uh, with uh, such a pandemic. Yeah, well, Sheikh, the in terms of the ghusl uh, of uh, someone who dies from COVID nineteen, um, I've seen a lot of stuff online. People refusing to do ghusl, basically doing tayammum upon the body bag, so the body's in the bag, mm -hmm. just smashing the, well, hitting the face area, in the hand area. And this is on YouTube, a brother was saying, this is the way that we bury our dead. It's actually an honor for them because they die in this condition. They'll be raised as shuhada and yom al qiyamah. The reality is, one should never, you know, aside from the fiqhi rulings over here, one should never, you know, openly say, oh, they are shaheed. We don't know. That's one thing. 
Number two, even the issue of, uh, because when people make that connection between COVID-19 and Shahada, or it being, uh, you know, uh, a martyrdom, or being a, considered a martyr before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not all ulama agree on this. That's one thing to have in mind. Uh, the hadith that people refer to is the hadith of a ta'un. Ta'un, mm. something specific, the plague, bubonic plague or pneumonic plague, uh, where you had what they call the uh, sores that would form on the body, black sores on the body. Uh, that is something that we know to be uh, shahada because Rasulullah spoke of it. It was, it had a mortality rate, you know, as in some narration, just to give you an idea of how high the mortality of this thing was, it's nothing like COVID-19. COVID-19 is dangerous, yes, it is deadly, it can kill, but nothing like the bubonic plague. When it hit Asham and the Sahaba were there, you had Abu Ubaid ibn Jarrah radiallahu an, Mu'ad ibn Jabal radiallahu an, who died of that, of that disease, right? There was one Sahabi who happened to be in the area with his entire family share. 70 of his family were there, only four survived. Four only survived. Mu'ad ibn Jabal, when he became governor over Asham, uh, after Abu Ubaidah died, radiallahu anhu, from that plague, uh, Mu'ad came up and gave a khutbah, a speech, enticing people to be strong and firm. And then suddenly uh, his son shortly afterwards died. Then he uh, found that sore in his hand. That's where it began from. And it spread across his body and then he died as well. So the, the mortality rate of the, of the bubonic plague was very high. It was specific in nature, uh, the way it appeared on the body and everything else. So that is spoken of in the hadith. COVID-19 does not give the same stuff. So that's why there's a, there is a khilaf presently among scholars today that someone who dies from it may not be considered shaheed just like that. Others say, yes, they are shuhada. So in light of this, um, we know the shuhada are washed. They're basically buried as is. And uh, even during that time when the Sahaba died or the Muslims died, the uh, tabi'in, when they died in their homes in Asham, they would not out of fear of that disease because it, was, it could spread even after death. So when someone died in a home, they would just simply uh, you know, uh, put clean or mud all over that, the, the uh, home itself, sealing it in basically, so that the person, they knew that person died inside there, no one's to go near that home, subhanAllah. Mm. Uh, it was a very catchy disease. So the question that we have to address over here, is COVID-19 transmitted after someone dies? How catchy is it? That's one thing. I mean, it's not for me to answer this. It's for people like yourself, medical professionals who can answer this question in the full spectrum. I don't know. Number two, uh, if a person is wearing the full protective medical gear, so gloves, the mask, the body thing, and everything else, uh, and and they're to wash the body in that condition, would the virus spread to them if they're protected in this way? Wallahu a'lam, with my weak knowledge of this thing, it appears that the person would be would be safe from the virus if there is a chance. Uh, of the virus. I, I would agree with you, Sheikh. The only problem is, is that this uh, personal protective equipment is in such scarce supply. So... Uh, you could uh, theoretically protect yourself from that, but uh, getting your hands on that might be very difficult. Then in that case, Sheikh, we have one other thing over here. You know, we had the full ghusl for the body, how it's done in its entirety. You need not go through the entire process. Rather, the ulama have mentioned that when it comes to the body, you just make sure that the water goes all over the body and that's it. So you don't have to actually come touch the body. You can just pour the water gently over the body when it dries out move the body from that to the kafan area, and then bury the person. That's the haq, the least that we can do for, to someone who is dead. But of course, the other issue is, is there anyone that would want to do this in a time like this? I know many brothers and sisters who do the ghusl refuse 
to wash a body of someone who died from COVID-19. So that might be in scarce order to have someone who would want to wash the body. So I think more than ever today, I mean, in today's world, we need people who would step up and do this to volunteer for the, in the sake of, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to uh, bury or help wash these bodies for them to be buried afterwards. If there is no one, then people just bury the body in that way. And that's something that, you know, uh, we leave to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because not every city will have people who would stand up and volunteer to do this. That's a given. There might be places where the bodies will be left in a morgue. No one's touching out of fear of that disease. So in that case, I mean, the body should be buried regardless. So one may take by what they see. And not say, I'm not endorsing this, but I'm saying that giving the logic behind why someone might just go through the, the tayammum process. Because of that fear that is there. Allahu a'lam, that fear is, you know, uh, a proper fear or if it's simply a fear of that should not be there in the sense that it may not spread after someone dies. Allahu a'lam. But in, in, in any case, I mean, this is something that the, the medical professionals have to give their input in before anyone can actually comment on it from an Islamic perspective. So it is giving, in general, uh, the possibilities. If there is a chance that it does not pass on and if someone is there who can wash the body, they don't have to go to the extreme extent of washing the entire body, just pour water on it, and then afterwards take the body, put it in the kafan, and bury the body afterwards, alhamdulillah. Uh, the other thing as well, who will pray janazah? We cannot gather together for janazah prayer. So there's a lot of issues that do come up right now, and I know for a fact that, they, that, they, that they've been discussed by ulama in detail. Uh, they've given what people should do. The aqallul wajib upon someone, uh, you know, washing the body with water without going into the full spectrum of washing the body as it should in accordance to the sunnah. No, may Allah make it easy. May Allah Jalla wa'ala protect us all and give us all life, inshallah. I mean, Allah understand. So the janazah, uh, you know how, uh, uh, for example, for uh, for Najashi, they prayed in absentia, you know. So is that then something that it could be possible? Could you pray janazah for a family member from your own home? And people can pray for janazah for the person in their own homes? Well, I'm not sure how the situation is today because I, if it's family members and someone dies from, that, from, from among them, you know, there could be a way still where they can get together. The family members, you know, be it the, the father, the uncle, whoever is there in the home, to pray salah on the deceased. So um, they, that could, they can get together and perform salah on the body, maybe at the morgue itself or wherever the body is being washed. Just do a quick salah and then have the body buried. Or just before it's put in the graveyard to perform salah in the graveyard itself before the body is buried. But or perhaps is, even outside. Yeah. But this is also the building. All subject to the guidelines and the uh, that we have within you know the municipalities that we're from. So there might be some relaxed uh, guidelines in certain cities, but in others, Allahu A'lam might be more strict, especially where the COVID 19 is more you know spreading quicker, like in Quebec. I don't know how the guidelines are there, but we're talking more. I'm talking more from the, from the you know perspective of Port McMurray. I mean, I don't think it's that strict right now with the graveyard, but it may become that strict down the road. Allahu a'lam. Who knows what might take what, what may take place down the road? Allahu a'lam. So if it's transmissible, then um, you're saying uh, it would be permissible to. Um, get away without washing the body if you don't have the personal protective equipment and the lack of means to do that yeah because in the case that you don't you don't you don't have the means to do something and that's the underlying principle that we have for every ibadah 
that we fear Allah as much as we can. So in this sense, fearing Allah as much as we can, yeah, and you do your best. You leave the rest mm -hmm. to Allah And, and uh, in this case over here, no protective equipment. You maybe you can put the body in, uh, of course, in a coffin, and you can do tayammum uh, uh, on the body. I mean, let's say you have gloves and a mask, you can do tayammum on the body, not in the bag itself. And we had actually a case not too long ago in our city where, where we could not wash the body for whatever reason that was, and we were forced to then perform tayammum on the body itself. So the face and the hands, and that was it. And we wrapped the the body in uh, in the coffin, in the body bag, and then that was buried in that one. So that might be something that comes up. We pray to Allah that it does not, but then if it does, that could be something explored further. And as I said, the ulama has spoken on this in detail. I had the research paper before me, but it's roughly 239 pages long. So uh, all of these specific points might take a little time because it's really you know, written yes. quite in fine detail. But aside from that, I mean, this is in general. Um, so we'll see as things do progress, how it goes. But then the concept is, if one is unable to do something, and they can uh, avoid doing that, right? This is something that we have within all the ibadat. If someone can, cannot perform the prayer while standing up, there's a legitimate reason, then they can perform sitting down. I mean, you're not required to stand up in that case, right? If one cannot perform wudu, they then can perform tayammum. That would take the place of the uh, of the water wudu. You can make it with a dust wudu. So, I mean, these things to have in mind overall, inshallah. Okay, and so just to clarify also that one point, uh, if you are not unable for whatever reason, say you're in a different city, um, there's uh, you have a big family and not all the family members can go to pray janazah. Is it then permissible or is it okay or is it to be find it within the sunnah that we could pray janazah for someone just in our homes? If, if in the case no one has performed janazah on someone, then yes, you can perform janazah on that person. So, uh, you know, with, with, if the deaths do rack up as they project to Allah and there are some Muslims who die from this, there may not be any janazah upon them. We pray to Allah that that's not the case. But if we're assuming hypothetically if that there is no janazah, then the person can perform janazah upon them in absentee in that case from the house. Uh, so the family members would get up and perform salah in their home on that person uh, who has passed away from their own family. But to have it, you know, across every single home, I, I find that. I find it difficult to say that we should all perform janazah in our homes for every dead person who dies. Because if it's been proven that janazah has been performed, then khalas, that would suffice. Even with the, with the story of, uh, of a najashi, uh, there are a few things with it that, you know, might we cannot compare other deaths uh, to that. Uh, it is in uh, the fact that uh, a najashi himself, no one prayed janazah upon him. So the Prophet sallallahu informed the companions that, you know, your brother has passed away. Perform the janazah on you know on him. Uh, so here we have to ask: Would anyone perform janazah on him? Let's say there is like a few brothers who perform janazah on the deceased. In that case, that would suffice. Khalas. What do you do as a family? You would make dua instead. But in the case that no one performed, then we can perform janazah. Of course, that's his haq, that's his right. Uh, so I would say take by this approach: If we know someone has performed, you don't perform. You make dua instead. But if no one has performed, in that case. You can perform it, inshallah. Okay. Well, I think that's a very good point that uh, if it's been performed, because unfortunately, I do see this uh, in quite a few masajid that even though it, you know, it's, if it's a very famous person or uh, someone very well recognized, or even uh, sometimes it could be like a family member, right? So they have a family member that passes away back home. They've already prayed janazah for them, but then they'll do like another local janazah. And then they use that, uh, what you said about um, 
the incident with the Najashi as a delil. But then uh, the fact of the matter was, was that there was not a janazah prayed for him in his locality, right? So there, it's a very different situation. Again, it's an emotional thing, Sheikh. I think it's hard to uh, to get out of that uh, mindset of thinking because religion in general and is no different from Muslims. It's a very emotional component of who you are, and uh, and I think that's where we see a lot of the bid'ah, you know, come about uh, when people die. I think those are the two big um, oh, yes. uh, uh, gatherings that you see the bid'ah is death and marriages. Where you see a lot of the bid'ah, you know, because it's an emotional event. Both those are those are emotional events. Well, well emotion in this case takes over the Islamic logic, definitely, right? So we have people when someone dies, that's the most emotional time someone would be in, and they would want to give their deceased the best that they can give, believing that it's in this pray janaza, asking everyone to pray janaza on him. But then, Juan, uh, when it comes to these matters, we always have to tie ourselves to what's in the Quran and the Sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Even that raw emotion must be bridled by the logic of Islam. So, yeah, I'm not saying reject your emotion. No, emotions are important, definitely. But they must be within the limitations of that Islamic logic. So you have it within that. Yeah, and this would mean that don't do something that's not from Islam because you're emotional. That's it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's easy to be said, but I know difficult done because I've seen people, they do such odd things when they're emotional. Later on, they regret it themselves. I don't know why I did that. And then subhanAllah, it's because of them being in that condition where they, the emotion took over, subhanAllah. Mm, uh, so Sheikh, um, I really enjoyed our conversation. I think we covered a lot of ground, practical ground. Uh, you know, mindset, it is a struggle. Allahu alam, um, where this will end, this is in the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I think one thing that we can practically ask ourselves is what is our state now? And um, is it going in the right direction? You know, are we headed in the right direction with this test that we're all facing? And uh, every day I think we'll reveal more and more of the condition of people, of humanity. And we hope to be on the right side of this thing, Sheikh. And uh, I hope to have a few more episodes with you. And uh, we can, inshallah, bring some khair to this uh, situation. Actually, there's one last thing uh, that I want to share. This is Hadith Malik ibn Ubayr, where, um, you know, he had helped Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He was serving Rasulullah, did something for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And uh, Rasulullah, as he would do with people who would come and serve him. He asked him, ask me what you want, right? And I, before I even mention the hadith, I want everyone to picture that they are that Sahabi. So whenever we read a hadith in general, just picture Rasulullah speaking to you, okay? And Rasulullah is addressing this companion and he addressing you directly. And he's saying, you know, after you helped and served the Prophet with whatever it was, ask whatever you want. Now just picture right now for a moment, what would you ask Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? I know some people might be asking, oh, I want the millions, the wealth, because here Rasulullah would make one dua and it would be given to you, truly. You want wealth, you want dunya, you want whatever it is, you get it. And of course, there were some companions who were asked, ask what you want. And the guy said, I want, you know, uh, sheep, I want a camel, I want a, a dog, I want to have a servant. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, you know, couldn't you have been like that old woman from Banu Israel? who when asked, give me what you want most, she said, I want to be 
with you know with you in Jannah, Subhanallah, to be your companion in Jannah. That's the old ajuz, Subhanallah. So everyone has their own aspirations. This Sahabi, radiAllahu anhu, Abdul Malik ibn Umayr, when he was asked, you know, uh, asked, "What do you want?" He uh, took a moment and he said, "Ya Rasulullah, I want to be your companion in Jannah." So Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said. Is there anything else aside from this? Can you pick something else? He said, no, Ya Rasulullah, my mind is set. I want this. I really want this, right? So then uh, Rasulullah said, has anyone asked you to ask this? He said, no, Ya Rasulullah, it's in my own accord. I want to be your companion in Jannah. So then he said to him, So he said to him, you know, help me out. I'm going to ask Allah for this, but there's a, you got to do something to help me out in this regard. You have to make more sujood, make more salah. So I think for us all, it's a time to reflect upon this and use the time that we have in this way to make more sujood to Allah Jalla wa'ala so that inshallah we can be in the company of Rasulullah Nya Muqiyan. Amin inshallah. Amin. Jazama khair, Shaykh. I, I feel that um, we need to start preparing for for thing that is determined. You know, like this uh, with uh, this pandemic, the pro there's it's not a hundred percent probability we're going to get this disease right so uh there's a small percentage of a chance that you'll contract this disease but yet look at how much preparation we're making for it right yeah. Sheikh? if you're told uh on you know on the on your weather application today is going to be a snowstorm you're going to prepare before you go out in that snowstorm okay there's a 40 percent chance it's going to be a snowstorm you're going to wear a jacket at least with you Right, Sheikh, you're gonna wear a jacket, you're gonna wear a toque. What is the percentage chance that we will die? It's a hundred percent. Yes, of course. A hundred percent. We just don't know when, but we know it's going to be a hundred percent. Like every soul will taste death. It's a hundred percent thing. I want you to think about it based on what we do in our life. Oh, there's a percentage chance you're gonna lose money in this investment, you're gonna take your investment out. It's a hundred percent chance that you are going to die at some point. What do we prepare for that, Sheikh? What are we preparing? How are we preparing for the Akhirah? So, uh, our minds should be a priority, definitely. You know, I mean, we have to self-reflect upon our on our conditions. Where do we stand in light of, you know, our actions, our deeds, the time? Are we using? Like, I don't want to go through every single point that we've mentioned right now thus far, but overall. It should really be a wake-up call for every one of us right now, this moment, the time that we're spending in our homes, uh, how we're behaving. All of this should be a wake-up call to improve and become more like the Prophet That's all I can say. I mean, everyone has their strong side. We know what it is. It could be reading the Quran. You love that. Fasting. It could be praying extra salawat. Alhamdulillah. But strive in that regard. Do your best and really, you know, shine in that in, in that in, in that regard. Once again, thank you for joining us on the Life Haq podcast because we're always trying to spread the Haq, stand with the Haq, and live by the Haq. So uh, we appreciate the time and energy that you shared with us today, and we hope to have you back on again. And, um, you know, uh, please remember us in your uh, dua. Inshallah, Jazakallah khair, Sheikh. May Allah reward you. It was a pleasure. May Allah bless you and your family, keep you all safe, inshallah, and give you khair in dunya and the akhirah. Ameen. Ameen. Jazamakhar. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
عليكم السلام ورحمة الله وبركاته. Do I feel that the New York police are providing enough protection, or do I have to have protection of my own? I look for protection from Allah.